Acts 1, 1, 14. They all join together constantly in prayer. Acts 2, 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 44, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Anybody notice a pattern? Acts 4.31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were, say it with me, say it with me, all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Verse 33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. Acts 5, 12, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. All the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. At significant times and places in the book of Acts, the only way to describe what was happening to this early revolution was the word, say it with me, This was a movement of all. Not just a few. Not just some. This is not a movement of pastors or missionaries or Spiritual elites or seminary trained or really mature Christians or I really love Jesus. This was a movement of all, not just a few, not just some. And they changed their world for Jesus. Today, as Michael mentioned earlier, we are launching a sermon series called All In. Everybody say All In. All In. You know, when we planned a new community 12 years ago, it's been 12 years. Yeah, we're still here. <laughs> when we planted the church 12 years ago, we, the group of us, there's like 10 of us, the initial group, we firmly believed that if there was a movement of all, once again, that we could change the city and change the world for Jesus. And the challenge was this. We all grew up in church, most of us. And we all had similar experiences. That's the way we went around and said, what was your church like? What we saw in our churches was not a movement of all, was not a movement of everyone. It's a movement or church of some or few, the really committed, while everybody just sort of sat around, received, consumed, enjoyed the worship, and what about doing their own things? And we said, we don't want new community to be a church of some or few, but of all. We don't need another church in America of some or a few of all. The way we said it was this, we don't want to be a church that supports missions. But we want to be a church that's on mission. Can I tell you the difference? A church that supports missions is a typical church in which a handful of people really committed to Jesus and they go over to China like Trisha or Colombia like Haiti and Julio and we go, wow, isn't that wonderful? People are really committed to living their life for mission for Jesus. While a bunch of the rest of the folks pretty much sit around 
But we said we don't want to be a church that supports missions. We want to be a church on mission. A church on mission is one in which everyone, all people, have embraced this call that we all have a mission in our schools, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our families, everywhere, the city and all over the world, and that that mission is critical for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And we believed that a church of all, not just some, not just few, but of all, could radically transform this city and the world. And there were a bunch of 20-somethings that were crazy enough to believe that. And we were very realistic of the challenge that faced us because the primary question it seemed like church folk had when they walk into a church in the 21st century is, how's the preaching? How's the worship? Can they be my friends? How's the children's ministry? How's the youth ministry? How's the choir? How's the music? Will it feed me? Will it meet my needs? And what's lost is is an army of healers touching the planet for Jesus. Now, up front, I'm going to tell you right now, you will not hear me say today, so serve in the church. So just right now you're going, oh, another push to serve. I'm not going to say that because this is much bigger than that. Amen? It's about the fact that 2014, every Sunday, at the end of it, I'm going to get up here and I'm going to remind you and I'm going to remind me, you have a mission this week, Monday through Friday, to be the hands, the feet, and the mouth of Jesus. There are people that you will come across that will not hear about Jesus unless you speak, unless you care, unless you love. And don't you dare miss out on that mission because that is what Jesus called us to do. Amen? I'm going to remind all of us every single Sunday in 2014 that we have a mission. So we're going to challenge you from merely just attending to participating, from just consuming to investing, to living from living a life of indifference to really caring about our world today. And from sort of superficially being connected relationally to really committing to genuine, authentic relationships. Ships. Why? Because here's the deal. God's restoration project, as N.T. Wright calls, God's ultimate restoration project, guess what his plan is? Guess what his plan is? What is his plan for transforming this world? What is his plan to restoring this world? Tell me, church, what is the plan? We are the plan. The church is the plan. He has no other plan. We're it. Tag. It. You're it. I'm it. We're it. He has no other plan. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? We are his plan. We are his plan. So we're going to challenge all of us, myself included, to go all in. Everyone. All in. In this incredible mission of God. Now, as we go to the next several weeks, I'm just going to put up here, just kind of give you the trajectory. So today we're going to talk about all in, everyone a building block. But the next Sunday, we'll talk about all in. Why? Because everyone's a missionary. We're all sent ones. And the week after that, we talk about how everyone, ooh, I'm really looking forward to this. We're all prophet, priest, and king. You got to talk about it, Carlton. I'm going to in two weeks. I'm really looking forward. I've never preached on that before in this church. And I've wrestled with this for 12 years. And it finally, like, clicked. I'm like, oh, my gosh. We're all prophet, priests, and kings. And, man, I can't wait to share with you what that's going to be. Now, so today, though, as we look at this, we look at, how they all, the early church, joined together. Verse 44, chapter 2, they all were 
together. Can, can I just say something? And if you've come in a new community, you've heard this so many times, you're going to be tempted to just kind of tune me out. But just when Jesus calls you and I to join him, we also get joined to something called the church. Can I get an amen? Jesus never calls you and I to an individual, private relationship with him where we go, I want you as dad, but I don't want your kids. You get him as dad, you also get what? We also get his kids. Thank you, Lord, very much. We get each other. The Bible nowhere says that Christianity can be lived out in my room by myself in front of a screen on a computer watching a video. The Bible nowhere says that a lone range of Christianity that says, I don't need the church, I don't need people, it's just me and God, the spiritual personality. The Bible says if that's your perspective towards Christianity, then you're going to have to find another faith then because that's the faith. That's not the faith that Jesus designed. You cannot live the Christian life without part of a body. You get him as dad, you get his kids. The Bible is clear that when we join him, 1 Corinthians 1 Tons of passages. We get joined to a living organism of people who are now become your family, your brothers and sisters, and we all share a common mission and purpose together. To illustrate this, here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to look at a couple of passages. We'll sort of break it down and then come up with some practical application towards the end. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, one of our favorite passages in this church. Let's look at this together. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has joy the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Yesterday I was at our membership class. There was about 12, 13 people. Wonderful, amazing people. And they're committing to become members of the church as they want to share their testimony of why they came to a new community. Almost every single person said, I'm a new community because I want to be part of a diverse body. I want authentic relationships with people of other race, ethnicity. Every single one of them. What they're saying is they're trying to live out what Paul says in Ephesians 2. He says what Christ did, he's created, literally, he says, a new race of people. What that means is that when you become a Christian, this is unbelievable, and it's incredibly difficult to live out. He said when you become a Christian, there's a bond, there's a closeness, there's an intimacy you share with people of other race and ethnicity that's closer than non-believers of your own race and ethnicity. He said when you become a Christian, there are people of other race, ethnicity, and culture and class that you actually become closer to than even the kid, people that you grew up with. That is the power of the gospel. And we say in this church all the time, here's a question. As you look at your significant deep relationships, how many people can you look around today and go, if not for Jesus, this is impossible? How many people in your life and in my life? I'm not talking about two hours in church. I'm not even talking about a small group once a week. I'm talking about how many people in our lives can we look at and say, and this was the amazing thing one of the sisters shared. She said there's a group of people in the unit that we live in. And Pastor Peter, it's been two years and it's been hard. How many of you can say relationships and new community is hard? Can I get an amen? It's hard. And she said, it's hard. It's taken forever. It's not like the church I grew up in. But, she said, when I pause and I look around and I go, if not for Jesus, this is impossible. She says, that's when I know the power of the gospel. 
Are there relationships where you and I can look at today and go, if not for Jesus, this is not possible? Are there people like that in your life? Are there people like that in your life? Verse 19, consequently, you're no longer foreigners, aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Paul likens the community of faith to what here? A what? A building temple and what is his primary argument and this is powerful he says when you come to jesus when i come to jesus you become a living stone living by the way today um i brought some props and i also had a, a prop master some of you know my son is like a master lego builder so i was gonna have him help me and then he chickened out at the last minute his mom texted me she's like he's scared he doesn't want to do it i'm like oh great so you'll just have to envision it, okay? Because I'm not smart enough to build Lego blocks, okay? So here we go. Paul says, you all are living stones when you become a Christian. And you, listen to this, become fitted with other stones because of your connection to the chief cornerstone. This imagery of you and I, living stones, that become fitted in interlocking interdependence with other stones. It's found all over the New Testament. Here's just one example. 1 Peter 2, 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Um, you could kind of see, this is an older building, it's made up, but what's the function of a building? What's the function of a building? It shelters us. It protects us from the rain, from the cold, polar vortex. <laughs> it's coming again, by the way. Did you hear Wednesday? Thank you for weather in Chicago. A building shelters you, protects you. Question, church. And again, you got to use your imagery, okay? It's a beautiful temple. Um, imagine this is a block. Can, can, a, can a block do what a building is meant to do? Can a block shelter you? Can a block provide protection for you? A block standing alone in and of itself. It's violating its nature. It's not living into the purpose and meaning for which it was created. Do you know what Paul is saying? If you're a lone ranger Christian, estranged from other Christians, you're violating your nature. You're not functioning in the way God created you to function. If you are an individual, I don't need you, I don't need the church, I don't need anybody Christian. God says you are violating your fundamental nature of how you've been created. Because when I created you and redeemed you, I created you to be fitted with others. And just like a single standing stone, there's no saying as a freestanding temple, has no purpose or meaning behind 
it in and of itself. When a Christian says, I don't need anybody, I'm going to be by myself, you're violating your nature, the intention for which you've been created. Question, are you violating your nature? Christian, is this you? The analogy to me that I could use, same thing as violating your physical nature, which leads ultimately to breakdown. Don't eat, don't exercise, don't get rest, abuse your body. Your physical body wasn't created to live like that, ultimately breaks down. And Paul says, you're not in community, you're not joined with others, you're going to break down. You're going to break down. And can we just be clear about this? Does this sound like we're talking about superficial relationships? Question, does this sound like kind of relationships that can be established on a Sunday morning in two hours? Does this even sound like something that can be done just because, you know, I checked the mark, I'm in small group, I've signed up here. Does this sound like that? We're talking about significant deep relationships where you've got a stone next to it, you've got a stone above it, you've got a stone below it in such a way that whatever happens to this affects something above it, what happens to this, something next to it, what happens to this affects something underneath it. You shake, all the stones that are related to you shake. You break down, everything around you breaks down. Here's the question. I'm going to put it up there. Are you so built into the lives of people that if you were to stop showing up, the whole thing would collapse? Think! Are you and I so built into and interdependently connected to other Christians that if we were to stop showing up, the whole thing would collapse. For those that are going, I, I just make it more practical. Okay, I'm going to try. So here are more questions. When something goes wrong, do you have at least one person you can easily talk with about it? Here's the next question. Do you have a friend that you can drop in on at any time without calling ahead? Question, is there someone who could accurately name your greatest fears and your temptations? Question, do you have one or more friends that you meet with regularly? Question, do you have a friend that you know well enough to trust their confidentiality? Question, if you receive good news, like a promotion, do you have a friend that you can call immediately just to let them know? Question, if you can't say yes to these questions, why not? Four reasons why we need to be built together. Then, four lame excuses we use 
to not build together. And yes, I intentionally titled them lame excuses. And then we're going to talk about Jesus and the gospel and the power. You know how this drill goes, okay. Four reasons why this is important. We're going to all say this together. Here we go. Because you're spiritually, we're going to say this together. Together, constantly, come on, together. Ready? Here we go. You're spiritually incomplete by yourself. Do you believe it? How many say yes? Yes? So you all don't need to hear this sermon then. Here's what Paul says. Verse 221, in him the whole building is joined together and rise to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him you two are being built, say that word with me, together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. By the way, I went to a church for like two years when I was on a small island called Guam where the pastor would not let people in the congregation sit by themselves. It was the most annoying thing ever. He would get up and he'd go, you, why are you sitting by yourself? You, you're sitting by yourself, go sit with them. And he would not begin the service until we were literally physically, say it with me, together. Paul says, Christians love talking about how being a Christian means that the Holy Spirit dwells in us as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Can I just say something to you? Do you know that there is one place in the entire New Testament where the Bible says the Holy Spirit dwells in us as individuals? One. Every other place, the Bible says the Holy Spirit dwells in you as the temple. Guess what it's talking about? Corporately. Corporately! Corporately! So we love talking about Jesus Christ lives in my heart, Holy Spirit lives in my heart. The Bible says one time, one time, one time in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit dwells in us individually and that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Every other instance, the Bible talks about the temple of the Holy Spirit and it dwells us. It is talking about the church together corporately. Why is that important? Because Paul was saying it is the extent to which we are together and joined together that the power of God is at work in us. Can I say that again? It is only when we are together. Paul in Ephesians 1 talks about the surpassing greatness and the surpassing power of God. Then in chapter 2 and 3, he starts talking about the church. Why? He's saying, do you want to experience the surpassing greatness of God in your life? Do you want to experience the surpassing power of God in your life? Then he says, you need to be joined together and go deeper together because it isn't that the power of God comes into your life. For those of us that have been feeling like, man, it's been hard, spiritually dry, I ask you a question. I ask you a question. Are you joined together with the group of people who are regularly praying, studying, meditating, sharing, living, caring, sacrificing, talking, listening, giving? Receiving. I just have a question. How many of you like resonate with what I'm talking about right now? Where are you going? The most powerful transformation in my life has taken place, not by myself, but when I'm in community. Men, up here, you guys? Yes? Anybody else? We know this experientially. We know this experientially. We know this experientially, you guys. C.S. Lewis always says it better than, way better than I could ever. Always. 
This is what he means when he says you can't grow on your own spiritually. In each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can fully bring up. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights and my own to show all facets. And then he says, now that Charles is dead, one of his good friends, I shall never see Ronald. They would be J.R. Tolkien, by the way. Reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. And then he says the spiritual truth. For every soul seeing him, that's God, in her own way, communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That is why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision are crying out, holy, 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 not to themselves, to do what? Each other. Holy, 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 holy. Why? The more we share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall all have. He's saying, we can't even bring out because people are complex and deep. We can't even bring out the full personality of some, a person, a human being on our own. It takes a group of people and that person to be in a group of people for us to go, I never saw that side of you when we were together. I never saw that side of you. You don't talk like that when we're together. You don't do that when we're together. All of a sudden, C.S. Lewis says, if that's true of human beings, limited, fallible, weak creatures we are, he goes, how much more does that apply to God? That means if you're worshiping God by yourself or you're worshiping God with people that are just like you, you're missing vast swaths of the unimaginable glory and beauty of who Jesus is. Can I get an amen? That means that if you believe still that individual persons or private Christianity, me and myself, I don't need anybody else, could actually, actually help you grow spiritually. The point that C.S. Lewis is making is if it takes human beings in groups to just bring out a complex personality, how much more in the awesome, amazing thing is God that when a group of people see various sides of him, we go, that's a side of God I've never seen, and I would never see that if not for you and that. And by the way, if that's true, do you know what that means? If that's true that only you can bring out a side of God that no one else can, why are you letting other people miss out on amazing ability to see sides of God that only you and you alone could bring out? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about when I'm not there, this is something that I bring out about who Jesus is that people don't get to. I need to be there. It's not just about me. <sighs> Secondly, not only... Are we spiritual and complete by ourselves, but say this with me. Together. Ready? Here we go. You need a cause greater than yourself. Did you know that the temple building blocks and temple of Jerusalem were actually cut miles and miles away? There was no noise in the city of Jerusalem. They were cut miles and miles away and literally transported into the temple in Jerusalem and put together. Building blocks on their own, as we say, have no purpose I mean, there, there's no function of a building block. It is when it is joined together with others that's able to fulfill the purpose for which God created it. Here's a simple, and I'm not going to spend long on this because we talk about it a lot. Here's what I know. When a person comes and says, my ultimate goal in life is to be happy, that person will never be happy. When a person says, my ultimate goal in life is to pursue happiness, you'll never be happy. Why? Pursuing happiness as an end in and of itself doesn't work. 
It is when I see people who are giving their lives for a cause that's larger and greater than them that they experience joy and happiness and meaning. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Do you know why this is so, so powerful? Do you know why this is so powerful? Because when you, and I know who I'm talking to, I'm talking to you, 20-somethings, whose primary objective and aim in life is you think you want to be happy and everything else comes after that. Let me tell you why it doesn't work. Because when we live for ourselves and ourselves alone, our lives begin to feel really small. Do you know why our lives begin to feel really small? And how I... appropriate we're talking about this this weekend because when you live for yourself and nothing else your life feels really small it's because when you live for yourself and your happiness your desires your priorities our lives over time begin to feel really insignificant do you know why because we're not making a difference to anybody to anything to anyone and the way god created you and me i'm telling you When we live our lives just for ourselves and no larger cause, when we live for my desires, my happiness, my goals, and my needs, and nothing else, our lives begin to really feel small because God didn't create us for life of insignificance. God created us for life of significance. And that comes when you go, it's not about my happiness. It's not just about my goals and my desires. What's a larger cause? What's a larger thing that I can give my life for? Do you have something like that? Do you have something like, do you have a cause greater than just your life, greater than just my five second, I'm here like a mist and gone tomorrow life? Is there something that you and I are giving our lives for that we can say, I'm willing to die for that. I'm willing to live for that. I'm willing to sacrifice for that. Is there something in your life and in my life that we're living for that's beyond just my happiness, my desires, and my goals? Here's another thing. You want to be a great person? Do you want to be a great person? Do you know why this is important? When we live for our own happiness, you'll be a terrible person at keeping commitments and keeping promises. Can I say that again? If you live for your happiness alone, you will be terrible at keeping promises and keeping covenants. Why? Because if the ultimate end goal of your life is to be happy, when it gets really hard, you go, this relationship isn't fulfilling anymore. I'm out of here. And I thought about this, by the way. I thought about Jesus on the cross. Nails pierced. Spear on his side. I'm glad that he didn't go, you know, this relationship just isn't fulfilling me anymore. I think we're done. How often do we go, I'm out? Because our ultimate goal and ultimate ambition is my happiness, my desires, my goals, my priorities. Oh, are you a living stone that recognizes I've been built to interlock independence for something greater than just me? What am I living for? What am I dying for? Third, say this with me. You need an authority greater than just your... I can't believe I'm going to say this to a bunch of 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 somethings. Did I cover everybody? (laughs) In the city of Chicago. I can't believe I'm going to say this in the 21st century, in 2014. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it, okay? I'm going to say it. How dare you consider your feelings as your ultimate authority and nobody else? 
Okay, let me be a little bit softer. Let me be a little softer. Do you know that this is a, an invention of a modern secular society that says, you know what, ultimate authority for me is how I feel. It's, it's me, how I feel. Because most other cultures in the world don't make decisions that way. Most other cultures in the world do the family, do the community, do the clan. But we think that's absolutely ludicrous. Why would you ask people? Why would you, why would you ask other people who, who I should date? Why would I ask people how I, what should I do with my money? Why would I ask, why would I, why would I submit myself and my decision making to other people's authority? I'll tell you why. Because you can't trust your feelings. I can't trust my feelings. Do you know why? Because my feelings contradict all the time. Not just every day, every other second. Can I give you an example? I want to be loved. Strong feeling. I want to be totally independent. How many of you know what I'm talking about? All the singles out there, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Those two feelings are really strong and they're very real, folks. I want to be loved. It's really, really strong. But you know what? The same guy says, I want to be totally independent. They can't coexist. I want to be really, really fit. I don't want to exercise and eat Popeye's chicken, whatever the heck I want to. Those two are very real. Every day I live where I live, I could smell Popeye's chicken from my house. <laughs> Don't tempt me, Lord, or Satan, whoever. <laughs> I want to be fit. I want to, no, no, no. I want to eat Hagen dazs I don't want to exercise. Those are two very real, and they're at each other's throats. Which one are you going to choose? Are you following me? So how do we trust our feelings when our feelings contradict like five minutes from now? Here's another reason why we can't trust our feelings as ultimate authority. Do you guys know our, sermon video, our, our sermons are on video now, you know? Our sermons are on video. So Matt Stevens was like, check it out. So I checked it out. <laughs> 30 seconds into it, I turned it off. You know why? Because when I listen to myself, I sound like Elmo. I literally sound like, wing, 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 wing. I'm like, oh my gosh, who is that? Who is that coming out of that computer? I shut it down. I'm like, that's not how I sound. That's not how I sound. Y'all are like, that's exactly how you sound. And I went back. I turned it on again. I'm like, play. Wing, 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 wing. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I cannot... I will not listen. Do you know why? Because do you know physically we don't hear ourselves? Do you know that? We hear ourselves through the bone in our neck. What you sound like, you don't know. You need other perspective to tell you what you sound like. You and I cannot see or hear how we truly are. Are you really going to sit there and argue with me? No, Peter. I have such self-awareness and such maturity that what I feel, what I think is the ultimate authority. Can I just say this? For those of us that are like, I'm suspicious of all authority, I want to say to you, then be suspicious of yourself as your authority. Because when you go, I'm suspicious of all authority, what you're saying is, I'm suspicious of all authority except myself as the authority. So be consistent. If you're suspicious of all authority, be suspicious of yourself as authority. The person who really sounds like, wah, 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 and you can't hear or see yourself. You need outside perspective. So here's my question. Who tells you what you really sound like? Who tells you what you really look like? 
Who says to you, how's your thought life this week? What'd you look at this week? Who tells you, what are you doing with your money? How are you spending it? Who tells you, how's your marriage? Not how you appear to be in other friends. Who's your, how's your marriage? Who asks you the tough questions? Who have you given the green light to call you out? Because we can't hear ourselves or see ourselves. Who do you have? Who do you have? Who do you have? Fourth, say it with me. You need validation from outside yourself. Say it with me. You need validation from outside yourself. One of my favorite things as a dad is to tuck my kids in. Especially my baby girl. Daddy, tuck me in. Sure, baby girl. What do you want to read tonight? Barbie. Barbie again. <laughs> How about the Bible? No, the Barbie's better. Okay. <laughs> I read her a story. It's my nightly routine. I tuck her in. Turn off the lights and I go. I've shared this with you guys before. That's a beautiful metaphor of what we all feel inherently in our hearts. When we came out from the rule and reign of God in Genesis 3, do you know what happened? Shame and guilt flooded into our souls. And every single one of us in this room has this longing to say, somebody cover me. Somebody tuck me in. Somebody. I can't deal with this shame. I can't deal with this guilt. Not after everything that I've done. Not everything that I've said. Oh, if people just knew what I did, if people just knew what I said, the shame, the guilt, the fear, the anger. That's why some of you guys, it took you four years to come back to church, and you're sitting here even today going, I have this enormous guilt, shame, and anger in me, and I don't know what to do with it. And essentially what you and I are saying is, I need somebody to talk to me. I need somebody to cover me. I need somebody to please, please cover me. And the amazing thing about human beings is we can't cover ourselves. It doesn't work to tell yourself, I'm okay. We need what? Somebody else to say, you're okay. I met with a sister this week, bright, bright, brilliant young lady who taught in a CPS school for one year. It was one of the worst case example scenarios that I'd ever heard. And here's this bright, brilliant young lady sitting there, and at the end of it, she's breaking down. Why? The entire year, her principal basically told her she was nothing. She was crap. She was incompetent. And I'm sitting there going, surely you know you're not. And she said, I don't know if I could ever go back into teaching again. We can't tell ourselves, I'm okay. I'm not dumb. I'm brilliant. We can't tell ourselves, I'm not an idiot. I am competent. We can't tell ourselves that other people need to tell us. Do you have people who say to you, Brian, you've blown it, right, man? You've blown it, just blown it. But you know what? I'm right here. Testimony Sunday, January 5th. We had one of our folks come up, and her testimony was, I have a really hard time forgiving myself. It's almost impossible. And she said, do you remember somebody that were here? She said, the way that I've learned forgiveness is that I'm married to the most amazing man in the world who looks at me and tells me when I confess everything that I've done, I forgive you. And she said, that makes the love and forgiveness of God tangible. 
Do you have people in your life that cover you, that tuck you in? This is what preaching the gospel to one another is. Do you? Do you have somebody who says, that is, God has set you free from shame and guilt and condemnation. You are free in him. He loves you, brother. He loves you, brother. Do you have people like that that are speaking those kinds of truth into your life? Here's, real quick, four reasons why some of you will blow this off, blow me off, and go about your day. Number one, lame excuse. I don't have time. Bull! Yeah, fill in the blank. Bull! Say it with me. Bull! There's like two people in this church, two people who can say, I don't have time, because they work four jobs and they have ten kids. (laughs) Vast majority of us, stop it! Stop it with the excuse. Stop it with the excuse. Can I get an amen? Stop it with the excuse. There are a small number of us who literally don't have any time, but for a lot of us, it's not a priority. Call it what it is. Call it what it is. First step towards getting healed, AA, rigorous honesty. Say to yourself and others, you're not a priority. Second and lame excuse. I don't want to get hurt. Now, this is a, I, I hate it. I wanted to put like parentheses around lame excuse because there are people that are out there that have genuinely been hurt. And I don't want to go, that's lame. <laughs> You've been hurt, so what? Be a big girl, big boy, get up. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. That's, that's mean. That's something Michael would say. He's going, amen. That kiss was something he would say. I would never say such thing. Here's another thing I know about you. Do you know that you and I believe that we can be fully loved or fully known, but not both? We believe that we can be fully loved and fully known, but not both. Why? Because we go, if I was fully known, there's no way you'd fully love me. So we hide. We hide. But do you know what happens when we hide? You can come up to me and go, I love you, man. But inside I'm going, but you don't know all of me. And if you don't know all of me, and I were to tell you all of me, you'd run in the other direction. So you could tell me you love me all you want. But if you don't know all of me, I can't be fully loved. To be fully known and to be fully loved is the most amazing gift we can give to each other. Let me put it another way. Vulnerability is hard. Invulnerability is harder. Opening yourself up is hard. Not opening yourself up is even harder. Do you know why? C.S. Lewis again. If you don't ever get hurt, put your heart and put it in a casket of protection, self-protection, selfishness. Get the top, close that casket, turn the key, lock it, and throw away the key. And he says, in that casket, your heart that's afraid to be broken will never get broken. It'll never get broken. You'll never get near people enough to get broken. But in that casket, your heart will become unbreakable, irredeemable, incapable of loving. There's no middle ground. I either open up, risk getting hurt, and receive love and get fully known by community people or... I lock my heart because I don't ever want to get hurt, and I'll never get hurt, but you'll be incapable of it. Third excuse. 
I don't want to commit, be accountable. I want to be free. Do you really want to be free? Then commit. Do you know why? Do you know what the most freeing thing is? Can I just share it with you? Annette, do you know what the most freeing thing is? The most freeing thing is when I'm in a relationship with somebody and I know they're so totally committed to me that no matter what ugly things they see in me, I know they're going to go, I'm not going anywhere. When I know I'm in a relationship like that, where somebody goes, the ugly, the bad, anything, I'm not going anywhere, you know what that allows me to be? It allows me to go, I'm going to be totally open then. I'm going to be me. Do you know why some of our relationships aren't fulfilling? Because here's our approach. We go, well, so I'll show up when I feel like it. Our, relation, our approach is, well, I'll go when I have time. Or I'll sort of make it, you know, if you want really fulfilling relationships where there's trust because they're going, I'm committed to you, man. I'm not going anywhere. So you can go, you mean I can be all of me, all of me, the ugly, the dark, dark side of me. Hey, you're not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. That is an environment in which you can be truly free. Talk to me about marriages of people. Good Lord. When you hide, when you hide who you are because you're afraid of your spouse and what they'll say, there's no freedom. There's no trust. So can I challenge you with something? How about for some of us this year, instead of going, I'll go when I have time. How about if we go, I will make time. How about for some of us to go, you know what, I'll go when I feel like it. How about if we go, I'm going to go whether I feel like it or not and be committed because it's not about me and my feelings. How about if this year, with a group of people in relationships, we go, you know what? I'm not just going to come and go as I please, and you guys don't know. Are you here? Are you not? Are you here or not? How about if we go, you could bet your bottom dollars that I will be here at all times. And by the way, by the way, if true joy and fulfillment comes from living a life for something larger than us, how about, how about, how about in our church when we develop relationships and commit to a group of people, instead of asking as the most important question, is this group going to feed my needs? We go, who here can I serve? How about instead of asking, I don't know, am I going to get something out of these people? We go, who can I bless? Who can I serve? Who can I love? Who can I be in relationship with? Last excuse, I don't need anybody. There's some of you that are saying that. I don't, Peter, the thing that you're talking about, I don't need it. I don't need it. And for most of us, that thing is subconscious. See, you can come on up. For a lot of us, for a lot of us, please listen carefully. For a lot of us, for a lot of us, the reason why we go, I don't really need anybody, it's subconscious because we've been hurt by a community of people. Some of us, it's because we've been at this church for a while. And man, how many of you guys know? We're constantly saying goodbye to people. Bye, 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 constantly. And after a while, for those of us older people, Oh, man, i got to start all over again. Oh, man, i got to start all over again. It's hard saying goodbye. Another reason, another reason. It's a diverse, multi-ethnic, multiracial church. And you know what? I don't care who you are. It just takes longer in this context to build relationships. Can I get an amen? It's just hard. It just takes longer. But for a number of reasons, we go, I just, I don't want to do it. It's hard. I don't need anybody. And it's subconscious. Here's the problem. And you've heard me say this analogy before. Here's the problem with saying that. Very few of us are walking around every day going, air. Air, amazing. Oxygen, air. This is amazing. I love air. I love air. Air is such a great thing. What would I do without it? Air, we don't do that. You know when we start feeling like that is when you are in a pool and you're 12 feet underwater. You will not sense and feel the need for these relationships until the day arrives when you are emotionally under. Thank you.
One more testimony story. Jeannie on Testimony Sunday. Her story, because of church experience, I pushed everybody away. Then my father got sick and died of cancer. Then the moment came when I said, who do I reach out to? And she said, I had nobody. I could send mass texts to people, but I had nobody, not one person that I can call and say, my father passed away and I'm struggling. I don't know what to do. But when you're in that situation and you don't have built-in community, it's too late. It's too late. And I ache for some of you who are saying, I don't need anybody. The way you build any building was through what was called the cornerstone. The cornerstone was the basic foundation of all buildings. The cornerstone was a stone from which the walls projected out, the buildings projected out. The cornerstone gave shape and form to the rest of that building, rest of the temple. If the cornerstone was a little bit off, rest of the building would be off. The cornerstone was the most expensive because it was the most important and precious. It was most important because it set the foundation for everything else. My question this morning and this year is not, do you believe in Jesus? The question is, is he your cornerstone? Is Jesus the person from whom, is Jesus your cornerstone from whom you rest your hope, your security, your identity? Is Jesus your cornerstone from which your life takes shape literally and takes form? The question this morning is not do you believe in Jesus, but is he your hope? Is he your significance? Your identity? Is he your cornerstone? Or is it your career? Is it your children? Is it your ministry? Is it your money? Is it your job? Is it your studies? What is your cornerstone? And you go, why, why is that important? Because you and I will not have the courage to live our life for something greater than just us if Jesus is not our cornerstone. We will not have the security to put ourselves out there and be vulnerable if Jesus is not our cornerstone. And we will never sacrificially, never sacrificially give of our entire lives to anybody or anything unless Jesus is our cornerstone. Is he precious to you? He's not just a cornerstone. He's a precious cornerstone to you. That means not just do you believe in Jesus, but is he beautiful to you? Is he ravishing to you? Does he fill your hunger? Does he quench your thirst? Does your mind naturally wander towards thoughts of Jesus all day during the week? The deepest feelings that you have for things, is Jesus at the center of that? Is he precious to you? Is he precious to you? Is he a precious cornerstone? Peter, he's not. How does he become like that? The stone the builders rejected 
But I'm God. But I'm God. But I'm God established. And I come back to this every week and every year. The stone the builders rejected, the only way that he will become this precious to you is that on the cross, his body was broken. His body was stripped. His body was pierced. His body was tortured. For who? For who? For you and for me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For who? For who? For you and for me. Is he your precious cornerstone? Let's pray together. I'm sorry, but I'm going to ask you guys to take communion first, okay? And then come on up. Here's the reason why. Stay close. We don't do this as a reminder a lot, but I want to do it today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, when Paul talks about communion, he says that he was broken for the body and the body that Paul talks about is not just you and me as individuals. I hope we cover that today. But he's talking about the body of Christ. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, don't take this without recognizing the body. Without recognizing the body. And what that means simply is when you take this today, go beyond just my own personal salvation and him being my precious cornerstone, but go to do I recognize the interdependent connectedness of what it is that I've joined. Recognize the body of Christ. Worship Him for it. Thank Him for it. Acknowledge Him for it. He is our precious cornerstone. Make Him your foundation, your all in all, so that you would have the courage, the willingness, the generosity, and the sacrifice, and the security to be joined with others. That the power and the Spirit's work would be evident and dwelling in and among us today and this week. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, and all God's people said, Amen. We'll see you back here next week, church.